if you want to keep growing, if you want to succeed, there's going to be things that you don't know. And you're either going to shy away from them because yeah, yeah, literally life. (laughs) Like I I think about it, like some people are rocket scientists. When you're born, you poop your pants. Like there's a long transition (laughs) period from pooping your pants to rockets. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Responsibly Reckless, the show where we talk about how to thrive in uncertainty and live life without regret. Advice is contextual, and what works for one person may not work for you. So we'll talk to top performers and dig into why they make the decisions they do, giving you the tools you need to pick the right advice for your unique situation so that you can build your version of a successful life, not somebody else's. Today's guest is Dylan Carter. Dylan talks to us about the lessons he's learned running a multi-million dollar software company, his thoughts on personal growth and how he got to where he is today, how to overcome limiting beliefs and reach your full potential, his thoughts on how to have a successful relationship, marriage, and kids, and so much more. All right, let's dive in and hear what Dylan has to say. Dylan, how's it going, man? Good, good. I'm excited. Uh, we, we typically geek out a lot, so I'm excited to actually record it this time. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm pumped to have you on the podcast too. You and I will always be having these fun, nerdy, random conversations. And every single time I'm like, damn, I, I wish I was recording this. So yeah. <laughs> now we finally get to actually do the recording. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I, I think that you're someone that our listeners are really going to enjoy listening to. You have a lot of stuff that a lot of stuff to offer an interesting perspective. You're the co-founder of two different companies, one of them worth currently over 10 million right now based on recent valuations. One's a software product, one's a prep center. You're also an amazing chef, if I do say so myself. You're always learning new, interesting scientific research, as well as telling me about cool new ideas that you found. And also, you recently got married and became a stepfather. So congrats on that too, my man. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. I think that with all of this, a good place to start is thanks for fixing our Wi-Fi yesterday, man. (laughs) I think that you literally made the Wi-Fi eight to ten times better. So not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, I know. I kind of got sick of it. And uh, I was like, you know what? It's a Saturday. I have nothing else to do. We'll just figure it out. Um, And Thank God for YouTube. (laughs) And I think that like jokes aside, this is uh, a really good example of the quote, how you do anything is how you do everything. And Mm -hmm. I think that you're the type of person who is always finding ways to optimize, improve productivity and automate. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering, is this something that has always been a characteristic of you? Is this something that's developed over time? If you could just tell us a little bit more about that part of you and kind of how it came to be. Yeah. Um, quite the opposite actually. So growing up, um, was labeled or was diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, um, and a few learning disabilities. So dyslexia, short-term memory deficit, a few others, and pretty much just assumed I was too stupid to do anything. Uh, cause I didn't know any better. Right. I'm in like fourth grade at this point. Right. So your labels define you kind of a thing. And it wasn't until high school and it was really like after graduating high school, sadly enough, 
that I started picking up books. And I used to hate reading, like truly loathed it, like wouldn't do it, like would rather get an F on a book report than read the book. And for whatever reason, business books started to kind of pull me in. And so I would just read one. That was, that was kind of cool. I'm going to read this other one. And then eventually um, it just spiraled. And what was nice about it is it made me realize I wasn't actually that dumb <laughs> and that I could do these things. And so I went from very helpless and not knowing how to do anything. And more importantly, not knowing how to go figure out how to do things to trans transitioning over into, I want to learn how to be a problem solver. Right. And I still struggle with a lot of things, but, um, it's kind of given me this power to understand that I can actually go just figure things out and I don't need to be an expert, right? Like the, the internet's a good example. I was like, I have no, no idea about these things, right. I don't know networking. Um, uh, but there's YouTube, there's Google, we'll go figure it out. Um, and sure enough did. So yeah, eventually I just started to want challenges, want problems to solve, and it just kind of gets you excited. And so definitely have never always been that way. Uh, pretty much no, nobody really in my life has been that type of person. That's like, let me go find a challenge. Let me go find a, a, a problem to solve. And so somehow, and I, I guess just through books that enabled me to become that person. And I really respect that, that one, you're taking ownership of your life, despite everyone telling you that you had to be one way, you went mm -hmm. out and you became another way. And this is a theme on a lot of the episodes that we're recording where people who are getting these amazing results are actually going out there and taking responsibility for their lives, despite what their circumstances may be. And one thing I'd really like to give you props for is having the thought should I question what people around me say? I feel mm -hmm. like it can be very easy to listen to what society tells us to lean into conventional wisdom. Hey, you're someone who's learning disabled. This is your life. But you decided to go against the status quo and question that. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. what kind of led you to do that? Because where most others would zig in this situation, you zagged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wish I could point to one thing. Um, I think it was a lot of things. Um, reading sounds like such a normalized thing, right? You're just reading, right? It's just how you spend your free time. But to me, it's more than that. It's a window into other, other ways of thinking into other worlds, into other, you know, versions of reality, to be frank. Right. So when you, when you don't have a reference point, like I grew up in, in a more like small Southern town. So there's not a whole lot of <laughs> exciting thought processes. You know, the fact that, you know, people are engineers did not register until like I went back to college full time, like as a basically an adult, in my opinion. And so it's just mind blowing to think like I just did not know. So I, I have this, you know, philosophy, so to speak, that when you're a child, it's not your it's not your responsibility, right? Like you get what you get and like it's out of your control. As you transition to being an adult, it becomes your responsibility and your problem. Right. It, the whole, well, I just wasn't raised that way is okay up until you're an adult. Great. Go change. Go read a book. Go figure it out. Right. So for me, it was just reading things that I didn't think were possible or even just know that they were in existence. Right. And then you're like, wait a second. There's so much out here that exists that I just didn't know. I want to know all of it now. <laughs> like, I, like I need to. Right. And so, I got really obsessed with 
finding people um, that had a similar existence to mine in terms of labels, things like this, that overcame them, right? And my, my thought process here was if I can find one who overcame it in some way, or at least learn to hone it and work with it, um, I could do the same thing, right? I, there, no matter what it is, there is at least one person in the world who is obsessed with it. It either has a YouTube channel, a blog, or a book, right? So I found all these people that were like, hey, you have crap memory. Great. Here's some things that, you know, memory championship people do because that's a whole thing. Like there's literally a whole like world national championships for memory, like memorizing things, right? So, okay, let me go learn a few of those techniques. Then that started to really pave the way for how I studied in college, right? So I went from, I was told I'm never going to go to college. I was not capable of it to at some point be like, screw it. I'll figure it out. Went back to school full time at like 23, 24, um, full time finance degree and did incredibly well while starting and running a business, right? Oh, in, I'm a huge fan of the whole, it's attributed to Einstein, but it's like really just nobody freaking knows, right? It's like um, every problem is either a physics problem or a knowledge problem. And the majority of what I, what my life is, is not a physics problem. It is a knowledge problem. Okay. <laughs> then following that thought process, the next, next logical question is how good are you at finally finding the knowledge? Right. And so that's what made me just intensely curious about everything. And so now I'll just chase whatever. And I mean, in a weird sense, it, it helps me to have ADD because I'm very quick to obsess over things. I'll be like, cool, I'm just going to obsess over this the entire day. <laughs> I'm going to go from like, I have no idea what this is to enough understanding to where I can at least have a conversation um, intelligently with somebody who does understand it. Right. Um, so I've just gotten really good at going zero to one um, with completely new things. Now, you know, getting to that extra, like that last 10% of mastery, like that's something I haven't really delved into because I found you don't really need to for the most part. Um, but going zero to 80% now, it's not that difficult for me. I want to highlight a few main things from what you're saying. Um, one of them is, is you were able to spot your unconscious biases at first and being able to challenge assumptions where if your whole life, if everyone tells you you're learning disabled, that's going to become part of your identity. But you mm -hmm. were able to slowly start to challenge that. And while it can be hard at first, one thing I think that's important to highlight is that humans are creatures of habit. So the more yeah. you do something, the more it reinforces it. So the more you started to learn, the more it became your natural tendencies. And then you started to actually crave it, where now you actually go out and you learn things pretty much every single day, which I think yeah. is a big part of your success and what makes you you. And then additionally, you're not afraid to dig into topics that you don't know. It's important mm -hmm. to maintain a beginner's mindset. And yeah. for instance, with networking, like you said, you were like, hey, I don't know this, but I can figure it out. And more people need to develop that approach towards life because if you want to keep growing, if you want to succeed, there's going to be things that you don't know. And you're either going to Everything. shy away from them because, yeah, yeah, literally life. <laughs> like I, I think about it like some people are rocket scientists. When you're born, you poop your pants. Like there's a long transition <laughs> period from pooping your pants yeah, exactly. to building rockets. Yep. So like somewhere, somewhere along the process, certain people keep learning and growing. Other people mm -hmm. just say, this is who I am and get complacent in life. So yep. I think that one thing I'd just like to highlight is the growth mindset, the ability to challenge your comfort zone and the ability mm -hmm. to keep learning and growing despite not knowing.
Yeah, no, I appreciate that. One of the things that you brought up that I, I kind of want to riff on a little bit is that that version of identity, right? When I identified as learning disabled and all those things, it held me back. And when I realized that, I was like, well, how do intelligent people act? For all I know, I'm, I'm a complete idiot. Great. Let's just go act as if I'm smart, right? Um, and I was like, what would a smart person do in this situation, right? What, what would they make the decision based off of? Great. Let's just go try that, you know? And then eventually you do that long enough and people are like, dude, you're pretty smart. And you're like, really? <laughs> like, right. So now you start to develop this feedback loop. And it's not that I have, it's not that I shifted my intelligence, right? Like that's, you know, at least from a classical per, you know, perspective on IQ, like that's crystallized, like that, it is what it is for the most part, but there's a difference between intelligence and being smart, right? And understanding what are my pitfalls and how do I work around that? A lot of things come down to strategy and execution, right? So a lot of times I'm realizing I just have crap strategy. I need to view things differently. Let me go figure that out. So eventually you go through that, right? There's kind of like phases here, right? There's like self, you know, you get to self-awareness, you start to challenge everything. You say, great, I hate this because it has messed with me so much emotionally and, and you know, mentally for so long. What's the worst that can happen if I just act differently? And then you realize through a feedback loop, okay, yeah, I'm getting pretty good results here. Maybe I could just start designing things myself. Maybe there's a hack here. And then you just start asking stupid, crazy questions from your life, right? Like I want to have X, right? For me, it was, I wanted to own multiple businesses. That's initially why I went into the finance major because I wanted to go to private equity and then eventually own my own fund. Um, ended up starting a software company, jokes on me. Um, but now I do have, right now I have equity in, in multiple companies and it's not like, you know, crazy companies or anything like that, but it, I got exactly what I asked for, right? Um, and I learned a lot along the way. And some part of me, you know, I still have imposter syndrome all day long where I'm like, there's there's no way I pulled this off, right? <laughs> I'm like waiting for the house of cards to fall, but you know, we're five years deep. So clearly that's not the case. Um, but you just start to ask crazy questions. You know, I, I started to do this. I got really on the deep end <laughs> where I was like, there's all these things I, I just want to experience, but you know, I couldn't afford it as an example. Travel was one. So I would literally Google, how do you travel for free? Then you find, you know, there, there, there's a subset of people that love travel hacking. Great. Did that, you know, got, got to a point where, of course, because I'm obsessive, started writing for a blog a little bit, <laughs> you know, kind of teaching it. Um, and then watches became a thing. I was like, God, I want to wear like, you know, I'm a huge James Bond fan, mainly a fanatic. Right. So I'm like, God, like, you know, he wears Omega watches. Like, I really want to experience these. How do you wear luxury watches for free? Eventually find a group of people that they, this is what they do. You know, they're low key watch traders and some do it as a, as a, you know, company, as a business. Others just do it because, you know, they want to wear a $15,000 watch and, you know, sell it back you know, to somebody else for 15 grand, they wore it for free for a year. And that's awesome. Right. So I did that a handful of times, right. I traded like 80 grand worth of watches in one year while in college. Right. It's like, I didn't make a whole ton, but I was like, got to wear 80 grand worth of watches for free, <laughs> you know, and made a little bit. Um, and, and so you just start to challenge reality, right. You know, if, if we say that re, you know, re reality is really our perception of reality, then what happens when you shift your perception? then in theory, you shift your reality. So why the hell not just question everything? You know, I started doing this with planes the other day. I'm like, how the hell do you get a plane for free? You know, 
and there's a book on that. Now, granted, it's not entirely free, but it's like you realize, okay, having a private plane, entry-level cost per year is 10 to 15 grand. Okay, that's dramatically better than what I thought it was going to be, right? So we have all these built-up assumptions on things, and especially coming from an environment that I did, right? Southern, like high, highly religious, like Southern Baptist kind of area, you don't question things. It's always, that's for the other people, right? <laughs> and those other people are the rich people. So I had a lot of these limiting beliefs that I had to work through. And still to this day, a lot of you know f- friends and family back home, you know, when I'm doing these things, they're like weirded out by it. You know, where it's almost like too crazy, but I'm like, no, you could do the same thing. Like, I'm not special here, right? Again, it's it's the strategy and the execution. That's not, that that's it. There's nothing past that. Um, and so, you know, I mean, hell, if you want to, how, how do you, uh, let's say you don't want to pay rent anymore. Great. House hacking is the thing, right? Go buy a duplex up to a quadplex, live in one of the units, Squatters, one of the right. others. Squatter rise, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fact number two. In fact, number one doesn't work, you know. And now these things are not easy, right? I mean, I tried to do a house hack when I was moving to Boston. I was like, that's impossible because, <laughs> like, it's like a two million dollar entry fee, right? I'm like, dang. Um, but you just you realize you need to get to reality and question all these assumptions first and foremost because if you're not operating from reality in terms of what is truly possible and how do things truly work, right? The whole first principles kind of concept, then you are living in a self-imposed bubble with a lot of limitations. And again, to my point earlier, as a child, that's not on you. As an adult, it is. Now it's your responsibility. Yeah. And piggybacking off of what you're saying, once you're taking responsibility, I think one of the biggest things you're doing that most people don't do, simply taking action. So many of us are overthinking things, trying to perfect our strategy before we even get started. But so few people actually just take action that by taking action, you're already going to be 80 to 90% ahead of everyone else. And you're going to be able to learn as you go. One of my favorite concepts is the OODA loop. It was yeah, popularized yeah. by, uh, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, by popularized by a very successful fighter pilot. He was able to win the majority of his dogfights within a minute or less. And what he did was he executed on OODA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, act. And the bottom line is if you're able to take action quickly, then you can get more data. And that helps you iterate on your actions. And if you're constantly taking action, you're going to be able to make more moves and outmaneuver the competition because they're too busy overthinking and overanalyzing. So I I think the bottom line there is, is get out of your own head and just get started because that's where you're going to get actual real data to influence your decisions. Before you act, everything you're thinking on is an assumption and our assumptions aren't necessarily always right. Well, yeah, yeah, you you had highlighted that beautifully. There, there's also another thing here, right? Like everybody thinks in black and white. It's it's zero or one. Either I'm not running that ten million dollar a year business, or I am. It's like okay, <laughs> okay, slow down. Let's break this out. And you can downscope anything in life, right? If you think about marriage, right? Let's say your your ideal goal here is to have an incredibly happy marriage. You don't go from single <laughs> to happily married. There's a lot of stages in between, <laughs> right? So maybe. The, you know, the downscope version of that ideal is find an incredible person and clarify my ideal partner. Great. So, right. So now you have clarity on that. Then the next version, the next version, right? Because you do learn a ton. And I didn't 
I mean, I used to always fall into this trap of like more research, more research, and I still do it sometimes. Um, I learned this with the first business, right? So got started, like the, I've, I've ran a, a lot of businesses that I was just testing out and like trying to figure out and failed. The one that finally made money was being an Amazon seller, <laughs> right? So I'm working, doing wholesale, I'm buying directly from brands, selling as a retailer on Amazon. And then at some point, you know, I started teaching, right? For free, we had this Facebook group. This kind of leads up to launching the software, but every Tuesday I'm teaching what I'm doing and I'm asking or getting asked questions, answering, right? And I realized a lot of people kept asking the question, what course should I take next? I'm like, well, how many have you taken so far? They're like, what, four? I was like, okay, how many sales have you done? They're like, none. I was like, that's a problem, right? And so you realize, and my, my kind of response was, you need to know enough to get started, but a lot of people keep course hopping because they're trying to find that last 10% of the knowledge, but they don't realize that that last 10% is experience, right? So they keep searching for more things to know instead of gaining the experience, which is true knowledge, not just information and data. Information and data can only get you so far. Actual knowledge and experience get you even further, right? So being able to downscope things takes away the weight of it, right? Because you're not worried about like, I need to understand everything, it, right? It's kind of the person who's like, I want to get into business. So I'm studying negotiation. I'm t studying this and exit strategies and all these things. I'm like, dude, you don't have a single person paying you. Don't worry <laughs> about exiting strategies right now. Stop. Don't worry about understanding strategy quite yet. You're not there, right? It's like, it's good to know, but when is it valuable? That's important, right? So I transitioned away from, you know, knowing everything just in case to knowing everything just in time, right? So now I'm like, got to hire somebody. Don't have a clue how to do that. Let me go figure it out, right? I'm doing it now, not studying it a year in advance when it's not worth my time. There's other things I could be doing, like getting sales, like getting customers. So, you know, being able to take the weight away from a lot of things is incredibly important um, because especially with somebody with like ADD, we're very anxious people. Um, and we think through all the worst case scenarios, you know, everybody has a negativity bias. ADHD people um, very much think it through strategically and not always in the healthiest of ways. <laughs> so you almost kind of have to abstract that away and be like, no, what would, what would we do tomorrow that would be cool? <laughs> How do I get a dopamine hit tomorrow that is like beneficial for me in the long run? Yeah, it's, it's really funny because I guess two points on what you're saying. One is diminishing returns. The first yeah. time you read a blog post ever on business, everything you're learning is new. Second mm -hmm. time, a little bit less is new. As you read more of these blog posts, the chances of you finding actionable insights is going to be lower and lower each time versus, like you said, experience. And then additionally, a big job of the human brain is to find and solve problems. So the more you think, the more everything's going to turn into a problem. I'm guessing it's similar for you. Let me know if it is. But I know from my experience that when I was like first starting business, the more I would think, the more I would see a hundred different scenarios why things would fail. And if you look to successful business owners and entrepreneurs, the majority of them are not the ones who are constantly overanalyzing things. They're just the ones who take action. And that principle applies not just to business, but to life. If you just go out there and t act, you'll realize that the results you want are way more achievable than you think. And that a lot of the worst case scenarios are not actually that real. It's mm -hmm. like you said that 
you have to have a stair-step approach to get where you want. You weren't just born running this multi-million dollar company. You slowly built it up over time. But the problem is, is instead of taking action, people are getting stuck in their heads thinking about how far the journey is and how many problems they'll run into. They just got to get started like you've been doing. Yeah. And there's a difference between operating from a mindset of scarcity and abundance. I was very much the scarcity route. If we do this one thing and it goes wrong, everything crumbles. No, it doesn't. <laughs> like We've had our database completely go down overnight. We're not providing any value and I'm freaking out. Nothing bad happened. So now when it happens, I'm like, let's fix it. What's, you know, like, you know, we, we might have a few people on the team that are like, dude, this is bad. I'm like, it feels bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's not like it is bad, but it's not ruin your life bad, right? So I think a lot of people, so, you know, going from not having a lot to finally achieving you know, my dream in life, so to speak. Um, now my biggest fear is not, can I do it? It's having it taken away from me. Right. So I had a, which, so I translated that into scarcity mindset, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And now I'm realizing that's just not how this works. <laughs> like when you are operating from a place of abundance, you are like neurologically, you are more creative, right? When you are in fear, fight or flight, your brain goes, we're, we need safety. I'm not, I'm not going to expense energy for the thought of an amazing strategy, creative solutions. No, we're not going to waste it. Because even if you don't believe it as a, as a consciousness, why would I waste it, right? So and you can look up study after study of this, right? If you shift somebody into fight or flight, their creative problem solving skills go out the roof. Um, however, if you can open somebody up, and this is part of like getting into like a flow state, right? You become incredibly more creative. So it's kind of a weird paradox, right? When you're in a terrible situation and it induces fear, that's actually bad. <laughs> you need to be able to switch that off and be like, cool, what do we do with this? Like, what's the opportunities here, right? So, and it's hard. I mean, I'm still training myself to do this, right? So it, it, it takes time, but being able to kind of shift your mindset to, right, what's the opportunity here? right? If we fail something, is that bad? Or is it learning, right? We either failed or we learned, right? Ideally, we just learn from it. It's only a failure if you didn't learn from it. So training your brain to see those things, not always easy, right? A lot of times it's just stressful. But when you understand what's actually happening, happening neurologically, you're like, maybe I should work on that. (laughs) Maybe I can provide more value to my team if I'm not freaking the hell out. Um, and we could just get to it and have some fun. Yeah, I think that one thing that people don't often think about is that emotion and action can be separate. People think, mm-hmm. oh, I always have to be stressed when this happens, cause and effect bias. And mm-hmm. the same with work. Oh, when I work, I should subconsciously, I, I associate it with negative emotions. But if you really become self-aware, you can learn how to separate the emotions from the actions or from the cause like the example you gave with databases if someone's new to problems they're going to start freaking out but you being someone who's more experienced with these type of scenarios know that okay it is not beneficial for me to stress over this (laughs) let me separate the emotion from my actions or reaction and let me take the course of action that will best benefit me i think that this is something that's a lifelong pursuit and it's extremely difficult But it's Mm -hmm. something that we should all be aware of and try to work more towards every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you really need to be be aware of how you react to things, right? 
So I meditated every day for two to three years straight. And then when I made the move up here, I got out of my routine and I stopped. Guess what happened? Depression came back, anxiety came back, I'm operating <laughs> from scarcity. It's bad, right? And so instead of feeling bad about that and be like, well, I suck because of X, which is what I was doing, I was like, it just needs to change. And like, if we know, right, if you understand cause and effect, right? If you have this like systems mindset of what are the things that need to occur to drastically reduce these, these negative effects and, you know, ideally asymmetrically give me positive returns, why the hell don't I just do it, right? You know, we were joking the other day about sleep as a great example. I'm trying everything to hack my rim cycle, right? My deep cycle is completely fine. My rim is where I suck. So I'm looking at research papers. Turns out they haven't been researching rim because they thought it was not important. Turns out kind of is. Um, so there's nothing out there outside of like anecdotal stuff, right? So I'm trying L-theanine, all these other things. Turns out you just meditate for 20, 30 minutes before bed, I get double the REM sleep. That's it. Cost me nothing. <laughs> 20 minutes. And oh, by the way, meditating by itself provides emotional stability and all these other things too. Right? So it's just, it's being self-aware and thinking more meta about how, like, what do I do to operate better? What are the things that when I do X, I have a dramatically better day? Good example for me, when I do not intentionally deploy one of the flow triggers, I do not get into flow. I'm highly distractible because of because I'm non-neurotypical, right? So I can be like, well, I just need to force myself through it. Okay, when you are non-neurotypical, that doesn't work. You, It's not just work harder. That's not how this works for our brains. So I understand how my brain responds. So when, when I understand how it responds to certain things, I can use that against myself in a positive way. So now on my calendar, I will literally just say deploy flow triggers. That's it. And it just, for me, I'm like, great. I know I need to do X, Y, and Z. We're in it. But if I don't do it and it's that one little thing, my day is completely unproductive in comparison. Yeah. I'd like to really highlight one thing you're doing here where you're becoming aware of your biases and tendencies and you're able to flow with them. So working with them, for instance, like you mentioned the ADD using that to your advantage, where a lot of us either consciously or subconsciously think, oh, I just have to white knuckle everything. I have to be extremely disciplined. <laughs> if this isn't hard, then I'm not doing it right. Yeah. But yeah. that's a misconception. You can get results and enjoy the process. And if you learn to become aware, you can lean into things that follow the easier path and actually get better results and have more fun mm -hmm. while you're doing it. Yeah, I have this weird bias towards laziness and leverage and laziness in a positive way, like effectively lazy, right? Like, if a computer can do it, I'm not going to do it. It's a waste of human potential. I don't care if it's me or somebody else, right? Even I don't care what your role is at, at the, you know, at the company on our team. If a computer can do it, why are you doing it? <laughs> right. Um, and that's probably just from watching too much Star Trek at this point where I'm just like, wow, like what could it be? You know, um, I like to think of Star Trek as a, as a documentary, not, not a sci-fi thing. Um, uh, you know, so I'm like, great. How do we do this better? Right. Um, and, and hack the system, right? Like use things to your advantage. Um, if you have a terribly slow typing speed, great. Go get a text expander to expand a bunch of things. You didn't increase your typing speed, but you got more <laughs> output done with less work, right? Like why not just make it easier for yourself? So every time I'm doing something, I'm impatient in the sense of like, how could this be done either 
for me. And I don't mean just handing this over to another human being. Like, how do I make it better? Whether that's a template, um, you know, I'm going to use Zapier to automate this thing, right? And so, like, I've tried over time to build up this this tool stack, so to speak, of things I can deploy to make my life easier as a knowledge worker. I think this is incredibly important, right? I'm like obsessed lately with this idea of the future of work. Like, what is that, right? In the next 10 years, what does it mean to be a knowledge worker? Is it the same definition as it is now? Probably not. And so when you start thinking about, okay, well, what do you do as a knowledge worker? If you define yourself as a knowledge worker, which if you work on a computer, you are, what are the things at your disposal that make your life easier and your tasks easier, right? Um, that's things like automation. That's things like keyboard shortcuts. That's things like text expansion. So I was thinking about this the other day, the amount of wasted time and therefore money that exists in the corporate world globally because the average knowledge worker does not think about the fact that there are keyboard shortcuts for everything they use. And so they're taking five seconds to click a button where they could have hit command enter, right? doesn't seem like a big deal until you scale it out. So for me, I'm always thinking about, well, what, what what's the ideal version of this, right? If I'm doing the same five sequential tasks every time I do this thing, can I trigger the first one and then the other four happen automatically for me? Yes. Great. Let's go figure it out, right? So understanding that you have way more leverage, I think, is, an, is a really cool thing, right? But a lot of people don't think about thinking about how they do things. And once you start to do that, it becomes a world of opportunity and, and curiosity and fun, right? Because you're just searching for how to do less things, which is kind of cool, <laughs> right? So um, that stuff gets me kind of excited, though. Yeah. And, and one note on what you're saying, I think one thing that people should realize is being super into learning automation and things like that. These are habits and default mindsets you slowly develop over time where when you're first starting, it's going to take a lot of conscious effort to do these things. You're going to have to keep reminding yourself, but over time it becomes a little bit more deeply ingrained in you. And now, mm -hmm. like I know for Dylan, it's kind of your default approach where someone who doesn't have this mindset, they're going throughout their day, maybe stressing out about their work in the back yeah. of Dylan's mind is how can I automate this? How can I improve this? And viewing this just like business as a long-term process, where you're just aiming to have this be your default a little bit more each day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that just comes from reading, right? This is why everything for me stems from reading. If I could make any recommendation to anybody, I'm like, literally just read more. I don't even care what it is, right? <laughs> um, you know, thinking about things from a systems perspective happened because I read the, read the book, Worked the System by Sam Carpenter. That's it. That's it. Like, he just opened my mind up to it where I'm like, holy crap. And then you start looking at other things like that, right? So now, and the best best use case of a Saturday morning, in my opinion, is go binge watch Paul Akers on YouTube. He's a, so there's, there's the whole Toyota production system, right? TPS, this is lean manufacturing at its finest, right? Toyota was like, we're making crap products at a slow rate. <laughs> so they developed the lean manufacturing process, right? They're the eight wastes that exist and they try to reduce these things to have better quality and more efficiency. So... Paul Akers becomes obsessed with this. And now he has an incredibly expansive YouTube channel of just doing this stuff, not only in his, in his massive warehouse that does like 40, 50, I think, and I'm, this is my estimation based on a few videos, 40 to 50 million a year in revenue. He also does it at home. Some of my like favorite videos of him is just being like, 
yeah, uh, here's 100 improvements I just made in like our, our like guest house. And I'm like watching, <laughs> like it's the coolest thing ever, right? Cause I'm like, oh, I can do this, right? Like learn to steal things from other people, right? Like, again, there are people that are obsessed about solving and thinking the way, or, you know, thinking about problems the way that you do. Why not just go watch them or read them solve certain problems and be like, oh, that actually gives me a good idea, right? This is going from like this like, divergent thinking, or I'm sorry, this convergent thinking. Yeah, no, divergent thinking to convergent, right? Like what's out there that exists that's super cool. Let's go get some ideas and let's come back to a solution, right? So being able to find those types of people and stuff like that gets super exciting, but, but that opens up your perception and your mindset to start thinking differently because you realize, again, it exists. If you don't know that type of thinking exists, then you, you can't get there for most people, right? You might be incredibly intelligent and use first principles to, to get there yourselves, but that's not the common case here. So just go find people that operate that way and then just go do that. I mean, Paul Akers is the single reason and I've never met this human being in my life. I would love to. Why I have a have equity in a second company. I learned a bunch of awesome lean manufacturing things from watching his videos on YouTube. To then be like, hey, how would you approach this? Me giving a bunch of advice, and then be like, do you want equity in this? <laughs> like, can you help us? And me just doing <laughs> it. You know, it's not because I'm innately awesome. It's because I learned a bunch of stuff because I'm a dork, right? So, you know. Go read everything. Go go find people that are obsessive about certain things. And not just in like a, I have a course to teach you, but like, no, they are like obsessed, obsessed where they're just like, I have to show you everyone that this world exists. <laughs> like go find those types of people. Like Paul Akers hasn't taken a dollar from me, like not even a little bit. Haven't even bought his physical products, you know, that he creates because um, he's a manufacturer in the United States. But just cool, right? That's all he's doing it for. He just wants to share that knowledge. Um, that's when life to me gets really exciting, right? I, I recently got married and you know, now technically I'm a stepfather. Gonna go find bucks on how to be married happily, right? I'm gonna go find bucks on how to be a decent stepdad or you know, go find people that blog about that kind of stuff that are just obsessed with it. Great, I don't need to figure it out myself, right? I can probably go from zero to 80 reading I don't know, one book and like four blog posts, right? Find the patterns, be like, cool, this is the consistency that I'm seeing. That's probably a terrible idea just thinking about it. This one's probably pretty good. Now let's just go get experience, right? Um, you could do all those things with pretty much nothing. <laughs> that's that's what's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I feel like now you have this really hard earned through experience and education mindset of how to approach problems. You're the mm -hmm. co-founder of multiple businesses, but I, I know that it wasn't always this way. I want to dive a bit into your decision-making process, how you think about things. But first, mm -hmm. I want people to get a little bit of insight into your early days and who you were. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how you started much like everyone else. You were just a personal mm -hmm. trainer, what that was like. Yeah. And then you kind of worked your way into school, multiple businesses, and pretty mm -hmm. interesting situation, if you ask me. Yeah, no, and no, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Graduated high school, um, did not think I was cut out to go to college. So that wasn't really a thing. Um, knew I was interested in business because my stepdad had owned his own company for the whole time I knew him. Um, so I knew that world existed and it was cool to me, but I, you know, I had no direction really. So I found myself working out, 
um, as many young men do and had one of the trainers be like, Hey, you're here all the time. Have you thought about becoming a nationally certified trainer? I was like, no, they're like, why don't you? We're trying to hire one right now. <laughs> so I was like, all right, cool. You know, that, that seems interesting. So went and got my NASM certification, um, came back, started training there as much as I could. And it was enjoyable, but it was grueling. I mean, I, I would wake up at four 30, I had a five o'clock boot camp that I did and then immediately went into one-on-ones, had like a two hour break in the middle of the day. And then my last client left at like 9.30 PM. It got to a point where I was like, this is cool, but I don't even want to work out. Like I'm so exhausted. And when you, you know, you start to have ideas about what you want your life to be like and what you want out of things. And again, getting to reality, um, we, we had two trainers come work at, at the gym and they were incredible, incredible people. I mean, I, I'm not very good at walking the floor to get sales. That's not me. I'm like, I need a system and like, you know, appointments and stuff. Her husband could just walk the floor and pull like four clients in like 30 minutes. I'm like, holy crap. Right. Like I'm incredible. She very similar. Um, and so I started to ask questions, right? Like, Hey, what does it really take to make six figures as a personal trainer? She was like, well, I did it. I was like, cool. What did your day to day look like? She's like, well, I slept on a cot in the closet at the gym because basically I had like four to five hours <laughs> overnight between clients. I was like, I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. Um, you know, and, you know, you can go the celebrity route and, you know, go super high end. I was like, honestly, that's not for me. I'm good. I knew I wanted something scalable, right? I'm listening to podcasts like Pat Flynn. I'm hearing things like, you know, make money in your sleep. Okay. What does that mean? And I realized, okay, well, the only way for me to make more money is to charge more for my time or work more hours. I could open my own gym. That's kind of cool. But honestly, I didn't really care to do that. Um, so I started testing out the Amazon resell like business, right? Like retail arbitrage, RA. Doing it on the weekends, right? So I'm going to like Walmart, Targets, and I'm just scanning everything, right? As many things as I can. If it made profit, I bought it. Um, so started doing that and thought it was cool. I would wake up and have like 20 sales already. I'm like, I was asleep. I made money. Cool. Right. So then at some point the the GM and myself at that gym did not see eye to eye. To eye so I decided to leave. Now all my clients are like, Hey, we'll follow you wherever you're going. You know? So I, I had a fork in the road. I was like, well, I could start my own gym. I could do home based training. I could have them come to me. I, I could do whatever I want really, but I didn't want to. You know, I, I felt bad, but I was like, I just, I had great relationships. You know, I, I kind of found a little niche where I was helping like young kids that were dealing with self-confidence, obesity, stuff like that. And seeing those kids go from being bullied and not believing in themselves to pushing hard in the gym and being like, I stood up for myself today. I'm like, dang, right? Like, so it filled me emotionally, but I knew that just wasn't what I like. I wanted that. Don't get me wrong, but like that's not the business that I really wanted in my life. Um, so when you have a vision for what you want your life to be like, you have to be willing to let certain things go. And this has kind of been a recurring thing for me. So decided I was going to triple down on the Amazon RA stuff. You know, so I'm spending pretty much six, seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day trying to source products to flip on Amazon. I'm in a highly toxic relationship at this time. <laughs> and then decided, okay, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there. I'm going to go for something that's more scalable. Scale kept coming up for some reason. Um, so I was like, okay, well, 
I can't source as many products because I have to physically be there in transportation. But if I could do it from home, do whatever I want. So I go the online arbitrage route, right? Basically RA just online. Started to do that. Wasn't super great at it, if I'm being honest. And then realized again, that only scales so far. Then another fork, which is private label or wholesale, right? Private label is cool because you can exit it and you got your own products, not as much competition, at least on the same listing. That was cool, but that was like an investment in like 12 months to like profitability. I had to pay the bills, <laughs> right? I'm already doing this full time and like I'm scraping by. So I decided to go the wholesale route because I knew I could cash flow pretty quickly, quickly if I could figure it out. So I had to set a hard rule for myself, which was you're not allowed to buy a product unless it's wholesale, um, which sucked because I was paying my bills with RA. <laughs> so hard decision, made a lot of sense, went through some struggles, but forced myself to figure it out, did, eventually got to a point where that relationship ended, which was, you know, in hindsight, the best thing that ever happened to me at the time was the most horrifying thing because, you know, she had a, a son and all that stuff. So that was emotionally very difficult for me. So I actually moved back home with my parents and I was like, my life sucks. I'm 23, 24, not nearly where I thought I would be at at this age. My peers are, you know, getting promotions and they're buying houses. What the hell am I doing? And it turns out I was just being a, a young entrepreneur figuring shit out myself. So um, decided, you know what, I'm going to make it harder. So I went to school, enrolled at UNF full-time as a finance major. Um, like literally that next week, um, tripled down on the business and got a job at a startup because I just love that kind of environment. I wanted to learn, right? So like I took on way more. Like started working out again, like really taking care of my health. And eventually, you know, um, left that startup job because in that same time period started a software business, right? So I had to drop something. I'm like, three is my max. I can't do four, right? So something's got to go. So I, I dropped that. And then eventually the software stuff was taking up way more of my time. And college was too, because I'm going into my senior year. I'm like applying for, you know, one of 12 positions in these three classes that are like incredibly difficult to get into. And I'm getting into them, which is awesome. So something else had to go. And this was a very difficult decision because the wholesale business is paying my bills. It's doing pretty well. Nothing crazy, but it's doing well. I'm like, you know what? I'm making a bet on software. Why? It was more scalable. I knew I wanted a big business. And so I decided to shut down that business, the Amazon business. Not even like sell it. I didn't think I could sell it. It was wholesale. Um, you know, didn't care to hire somebody to manage it. I knew that for me, again, being self-aware, the more focused on something I am, the better I'm going to do at it. If I'm not focused on it, it's not getting done. So I was too dispersed. So I pulled it back. I was like, cool, uh, you know, uh, college and software. That's it. That's all I'm doing. And that was the one of the best decisions I made <laughs> for sure because it took off. And then eventually, you know, met my now wife my senior year. I was like never dating somebody with a kid ever again. Uh, I'm just going to focus on myself and then met her at a New Year's Eve party. I was like, you're pretty awesome. And then we started dating <laughs> quickly after that. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, there's like a lot there. But the, re the recurring patterns for me was just knowing that I wanted something that scaled infinitely. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. I just didn't like the idea of having limitations, right? If, if everything's if, if your business is one big math equation, you start apply limitations to it, 
that becomes a problem. Sometimes limitations are good. Like, you know, we're bootstrapped. We didn't raise money. That's an amazing limitation because it makes us be creative. But I don't like limitations in the sense of for us to grow, we have to hire people. Didn't really love that idea for some reason, right? I wanted to be like this lean team, you know. Um, and so that that became a thing. So scalability was was a thing for me. Um, I always loved technology, which, you know, it's funny because my first semester in college, I was a computer science major and like struggled, dropped it, went finance. And now like I run a, a software company, which is kind of ironic <laughs> in hindsight. But, uh, you know, and now like I can, I can, you know, I, I, I can kind of code, like I can like write some scripts and like automate some stuff and that's about it. But, you know, it's just, so it's just like the, this crazy winding road, but every junction of it, even the worst aspects of it taught me a lesson, right? That terrible toxic relationship was horrifying and I would never want to go back through it, prepared me mentally and emotionally for having a kid in my life that it's not mine biologically. So when you know, my now wife and I started dating. She's like, Hey, I need to know, like you're on board for this. Cause like, I'm, I'm only going to do something serious. And I was like, yeah, I can, I know I can do that. Right. I know I can be here for that. Um, so everything, everything came to fruition. All the, all the junctures were, there was a fork in the road and it ultimately wasn't my decision. Like the, the personal training thing forced me into an uncomfortable position that made me had to have to make decisions and, and kind of rise to the occasion. So at the time, I'm like, my life's ruined. Uh, it turns out was not the case. It was actually, no, you're just being pushed onto the path you're supposed to be onto. And so now I'm kind of a little bit more relaxed about those things. But I just fundamentally knew who I wanted to be, the type of life I wanted, um, where I wanted to end up, what I wanted to accomplish to a certain degree. And that has led me to making a lot of these decisions. When I'm faced with, do I shut down the business and triple down here or not? It was, what like like where am I? Where do I want to be at in ten years? Right? I can pretty much guesstimate if I stay on this path, it's not going to be there. I have a higher pr- probability if I go on this other path. Great, let's go on that other path now. Now I'm not jumping around, right? Uh, I'm not doing the whole you know squirrel thing, but I'm making a very intentional decision thoughtfully what gets me closer to my goal here and that's what we're going to do and things change i never wanted to be married never wanted to have kids now i'm married have a stepson and i kind of want a kid (laughs) right so (laughs) you have to be willing to grow as an individual and understand that the outcome you wanted for your life and the path you thought it was going to take are going to be different than what they are in reality but that's okay. The things you start to desire change as you age, right? Like now I'm 30 and I'm like, yeah, a kid sounds kind of cool, right? You know, two years ago, I was like, no, it's a hard pass for me. Like, you know, cause I thought I was, I would have to choose one or the other. Now I'm like, actually there's a third door here. Like there usually is. Why don't I just try to make it work anyways, right? Um, and there's plenty of examples of people doing that. So for me, it, there's just, I knew kind of where I wanted to be and every opportunity that either I created or that was given to me um, in some way, shape or form, I just grabbed and ran with it every, every step of the way. And one good point on what you're saying, I think that a lot of us will apply labels to ourselves. Like we talked about labels earlier on, but each label that you identify as limits you in some way. If you had held on to the label, I'm a finance guy you wouldn't mm-hmm. have jumped over to a software business. Yeah. And then an, another thought that I had was 
the idea of the loosely held idea of the future that you mm-hmm. want. Like you're talking about having an idea of the vision of your life. And one point I want to make on this is there's millions, if not billions of stimuli and data points coming at us every day. All these things that you see, smell, hear, the temperature, you name it. But our brains can only process so many. So we're constantly filtering out pieces of data that doesn't serve our purpose. The more you can have an idea of the future and vision you want, the more you'll start to spot the pieces of data that inform the future you want, the opportunities available, as opposed to all those other pieces of data. You can think of having a vision of the future you want as helping hone in the scope of what you see and sense, and you'll start to actually spot more opportunities instead of less. This comes back to abundance mindset versus scarcity. If you have the scarcity mindset, you're going to have confirmation bias and find all the reasons you can't do it versus in your scenario, you had an idea of the future you wanted. And instead of staying where it was safe and sticking with your wholesale business that was doing pretty well, you decided to take a little bit more of a risky route because you knew it served the future that you wanted in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. What what you're highlighting here is intentionally priming your psychology, (laughs) right? It's the whole, when you're shopping for a certain type of car, why do you always see that car now, right? It's because you've been psychologically primed to see that and to notice it, right? So I was talking to somebody, a younger, younger guy the other day, and he wants to get into business and he's, you know, just kind of all over the place. Like, I just don't know what to do. I was like, okay, well, there's no right or wrong answer, right? Like, don't just start this type of business because it makes money. Any business can make money for the most part, right? What you really need to understand is what the hell's your purpose here, right? Um, and for a lot of people, it's not owning a business, funny enough, right? <laughs> a lot of things we we tend to want to do out of ego or mimetic theory, right? It's like, because you want it and I want to be like you, therefore I must do that and want that and desire that as well. Not really the case. If you can really sit with yourself and think through, you know, what what um, Peter Diamandis, incredible guy, um, he talks a lot about abundance mindset and stuff like that. He talks about having a massively transformative purpose. What the hell do you want to do here, right? You got one life. It doesn't have to be insane. What do you want? What what's something that when you read it back to yourself, you're like, holy shit! If I could accomplish that, my life would be worth everything. Right. Like I, I could die happily kind of a thing. Right. And you can have multiple massively transformative purposes. So you have to get that motivation down and you have to have something like a North Star to aim for. Um, so for me, it's like I want to help the world transition to a world of abundance through technology and business. OK, there's a lot of routes to take to get there. Right. Um, I could go back to school for neuroscience and go and you know create a company in that space. Um, I could further the research in that space, right? There's all kinds of approaches here, but the point is when I read that, I get freaking jacked up. And so I need a feedback loop that helps me view that constantly. So actually I look at it every day and I review it once a week because when I'm setting my weekly and my daily goals, I want to make sure they're tied back to that. So I'm not lost in the minutia, right? And so you know, you have what's called a motivation stack, right? So I have my massively transformative perfect per- purpose that's at the top. I have a high heart goal that's like the next like five-ish years, right? So I'm pulling it back to reality now. And then I have a year goal, right? If I could like trace it perfectly, right? It's a thread. Now I'm looking at my year goal saying, great, what do I need to do this week and tomorrow 
to get closer to hitting that goal, which then helps me get closer to hitting my high hard and then therefore my MTP. I think a lot of people just go make money. It's like, okay, hold on. Like have an amazing life. What does that mean? What the, what the hell is fulfillment to you? You got to define that, right? For a lot of people, they're probably making their lives like I did harder because they just haven't clarified what the hell they want. And what you want will change over time. And so you need to be aware of that. Like my MTP right now may change in the next year. It's very possible. I may find something I'm like, holy crap, this is more exciting and like, that's really the thing. I thought I was there, but I'm not. Or this is the thing. Um, that will help you make those decisions because you do need a reference point, right? It's not like, tell me the, the best decision. It's subjective. It depends on what you want, right? It's like in the Amazon space, a lot of people are like, oh, I just need to hit seven figures. I'm like, why? Well, because shouldn't you? Should you? I don't. Do you want to? Right? Like you might be happy making six figures and like that's it. It, just saying seven sounds cool to your ego. But like, do you want that truly? Because, you know, at that if that's the game we're playing, why not eight? Why not 10? Well, you're a failure if, if you're at seven because nine and 10 is better, right? It's like, okay, well, that's an <laughs> infinitely played game, right? It's the same thing as, as dating is, right? Ryan Holiday had this, you know, thing about dating and marriage that actually made me be like, okay, I get marriage now. Right, because we're playing this infinite game of there's always somebody more intelligent, hotter, blah 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 in this world. Right, our dating pool went from like our town to like the country practically. Right, and so at a certain point, you need to get clear on what are your values. What 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 do you think makes the the ideal relationship and spouse? And when you find somebody who fits that, you either actively choose that person or you don't. That was the big turning point for me from a, I went from like always toxic relationships to the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. And I don't know how it's because we actively choose each other. We're not playing this. Yeah, but you're this way. And this other person's that way. No, 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 we're not playing that game. We, we changed from an infinitely played game to a finite game now. Right. So that concept even goes further into other areas of your life. But if you cannot define success for you, you will never get it. Ever doesn't all the money in the world doesn't matter if, if you're if success for you is actually being Mother Teresa, you having 10 figures in the bank doesn't really change anything for you, it turns out. Right. So you just have to have a basis for defining what success is, defining how you think through logically and rationally making decisions. Otherwise, they're both good and they're both bad at the exact same time. Yeah, it's really funny. People are trying to optimize how they spend time, their productivity, their success. But saving time on emailing, becoming more efficient at emailing is going to give you way less of a benefit than ensuring that you're clear on your vision and the type of life you want to live. You could Mm -hmm. send 100 emails the most efficient way possible. But like you said, if you want to be Mother Teresa, you shouldn't be sending emails at all. So trying to optimize these smaller tasks feels easier. It feels more concrete. And that's why a lot of us jump to doing it. But the harder work that's more ambiguous, which is becoming clear on your definition of success, this is what will give you the biggest impact. It's like the concept rocks before sand, making sure you work on the more impactful things first. I think that these are the tasks that are worth putting your time into because then you can ensure that what you do work towards is a goal you actually want effectiveness over efficiency yeah i have the saying that i've kind of adopted which is 
you know, a lot of people want to focus on efficiency first, you know, right? And like email is a good one. Like, oh, I'm crushing email. I'm like, great. Towards <laughs> what end, right? Like, because here's the thing. Effectiveness should always come before efficiency. You do things inefficiently but effective because you've proven it's worth the time and effort of your input, and then you make them efficient. Here's what ends up happening for a lot of people. You become efficiently ineffective when you don't focus on effectiveness. Great. You're doing a lot of great things, except for you're not. You're just moving shit around. You're, that, this is the whole definition of being busy but getting nothing done, right? So I'll have somebody be like, oh, I sent like 400 emails today. I'm like, cool. I called three brands. How many accounts did you get? Well, I got like one opened and like there's no profit there. I was like, cool. I called three and I got two open and there's like, <laughs> well, that's not, that's not efficient. It's not a good use of time. Really? Because you got nothing out of it. <laughs> yeah, it took me five hours to do that. But guess what? I'm effective. Now I can get really efficient. Right now I can work on a script because I know that it makes sense. So, and this is just a good business principle, right? Figure out what works first. Do things that don't scale, as Paul Graham says. Figure out what actually is effective and then go scale the shit out of it, <laughs> right? Google ads is a good example. I was like, hey, I think this makes a ton of sense. No data. Great. Let's go throw $1,000 at it. We made sales. It was profitable. Let's scale the shit out of it. Then next thing you know, within the next like six, eight months, I spent a hundred grand, right? And now it's like, great. We need to go hire somebody to manage and scale that even further because now it's outside of my realm, Right. So yeah, you just, you, you got to understand and, and not try to rush, man. It's uh, yeah. And it's like, you know, I geek out with productivity all day long. That's definitely a guilty pleasure of just like, you know, watching people optimize to do this. Cause I do that and notion and all those things. Right. I use superhuman for my email. Right. Um, I have templates and all these text expanders and all that stuff, but those are tools used to get me closer to my end goal. They're supporting me not diluting my focus, <laughs> right? You, you gotta, you gotta have some time. Like I do daily and weekly, um, I call them just checklists. So I have a checklist I go through at the end of the day, which forces me to ask tough questions tomorrow. What's the most effective thing I could do to get closer to my yearly goal or my weekly goals? One thing. So I, I get clarity on that real quick, right? It's hard to be like, I'm just going to focus on this other thing. I intentionally said this thing would be the most useful of my time. So if I didn't do that, that's on me. Um, you know, so being able to build some feedback loops, like if, if you struggle with focusing on the effectiveness aspect of those things, great, create a system that forces you to deal with it. So you have a feedback loop. So eventually your brain's just like six o'clock. I got to answer some tough questions. <laughs> You've already been thinking about it though, right? You already know. And now it just becomes that habit, right? So I'm a big fan because I'm non-neurotypical of using technology to augment myself, right? I suck at mem memory for sure. I have short-term memory deficit. <laughs> Great. Write everything down. Just everything gets written down. Um, you know, I, I, I suck at being, you know, ha like having this natural flow of coming back to myself and, and having a feedback loop and asking tough questions because they're uncomfortable. Great. Calendar event every single day. I have a checklist and I have a database in Notion, so I know if I didn't do it, right? And I'm just going to make myself feel worse if I didn't. And then, oh, you know, now I'm actually getting incredible positive outcomes from it. Now I just look forward to it because it's exciting. Now I probably don't need that, but 
I'm going to fall to the level of my systems, not, you know, fall to the level of my ideals, so to speak. Right. So like, again, make your life easier, <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't have to be that hard. I mean, I, I now have checklists for launching and, and shutting down projects. Cause I'm like, I want consistency here. Great. I don't need to remember everything. I just go through the checklist like an idiot and it's like seven things. And then all of a sudden I'm like 80% of the way through the project before it even started. That's awesome, man. Uh, one thing I want to hop back to is defining your definition of success and the vision of the life you want. I'm curious how you went about deciding what success is for you and how you go about changing with this vision, being open to the change and kind of knowing when to change. Like for instance, you weren't open to marriage or kid, and now you're all the way married, open to having a kid. So I'm curious how you go about defining your definition of success, if there's any internal factors you listen to or things you think about, and then mm -hmm. also how you go about changing your definition and knowing when you need to change it. Yeah, for me, it's purely emotional, right? It's not analytical. Um, there's times when you need to be analytical. There's other times when you just need to like sit with yourself and figure out what you respond to. So for me, you know, marriage is a good example. Um, you know, Courtney and I were dating and, you know, I was like, Hey, I don't rush things. I don't put a timeline on it. You know, we're like a few years into it. A lot of people are like, when are you going to do that thing? I was like, I don't know if I am like, for me, it's not a timeline. It's not whatever I feel pressured or guilt guilted to do. It's when am I in a position where I, I have to do it, <laughs> right? Like I can't see the world with that, not in it. Right. Like I, like I have to. So there was a moment, there was a conversation we were having and it just clicked in my brain where I was like, I already view you this way. Like, there's no question about it now. Right. Um, so that, that transitioned pretty, pretty well for me though, like big life stuff, man. It's like, I see the world for what it could be. And I see the gaps between where it is now. Right. So for me, I want to close those gaps because that world looks pretty awesome in comparison. <laughs> um, so it's things I'm obsessed with. It's things that I can't stop thinking about. Right. Like for people, some people it's art for some people, it's, you know, a, a certain business or problem that has just been eating at them for 10 years. And like, I have to solve this drive me insane. Go, go do that. Um, so for me, it's like taking the emotional aspect of, how I feel about something and then writing, journaling. Like, what does that mean? Like, do I keep coming back and back to it? Okay, maybe that's a good sign that this is a bigger thing to me than I realized. Maybe I need to go expand my knowledge on that, right? You can take your curiosities and turn them into passions. I don't believe that people are just born with a passion for X. You become curious about something and then through experimentation and exploration of those things, you become passionate about them because you now understand truly what's possible here. Um, so for me, it's like, go get curious about everything, right? This comes back to reading, just read everything, <laughs> right? This is why I love just picking random things that go obsess about. Cause I'm like, there might be something here that I just don't know. Let's go find out. You know, I, I jump into something like this is actually kind of boring. I hate it. Great <laughs> it's data point. Right. Um, or I jump into something. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. Great. Go explore and explore and explore. So, for me, it's, it comes down to what lights you the hell up, 
right? Like if accounting lights you up, go be a freaking accountant. If you're an accountant and building rockets lights you up, go build freaking rockets, right? Like there's countless examples of people doing these kind of things. And, 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 and kind of taking away a lot of this, the stigma and the, the guilt, um, of doing things differently in your life. I mean, I've felt horrible. I felt like a loser, you know, five years into my 10 year journey to become a founder of a business that makes money. I was like, I suck. Turns out, no, I was just on my, on my journey, but I did, I never quit it. Right. I, it, for me, it was so worth the pain and the uncomfortableness because I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Right. I was like, the thought of doing anything else is more painful than the pain I feel now. So, right. Pleasure, pain, right. Humans are really good at this. <laughs> so what gives you extreme pleasure that is so worth it to you that you're willing to endure some pain, chase that. Right. Um, and turns out, even if you look at flow research, so being in flow states, when you have extreme motivation, curiosity, novelty, these are flow triggers. These are things that make you feel fulfilled, right? Flow research was created by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, it's a hard thing to say, um, who was actually not studying flow. He was studying like happiness and fulfillment and realized that the more time you're in flow states, the more fulfilled you are as a human. Okay, so based on that, maybe we need to be in more flow. How do we get more flow? There are 22 flow triggers. There are flow blockers, right? So being able to chase these things um, that just naturally lead to flow, you need to be aware of. If, you, if you're doing something and without any awareness, you're like, holy crap, time dilation just happened, right? Four hours felt like 15, 15 felt like four. That was a flow state. Maybe you need to stop and pause and be like, what about this triggered that in me? Because that was fulfillment for me. Maybe you need to go cha chase those things, right? Um, so it's obviously completely different for every single human being, but you don't have to just sit down and be like, this is my MTP. I already know it. Maybe you don't, <laughs> right? Um, there is such thing as a passion recipe you can follow. There's a protocol for this, these kind of things, right? You start with things that, let's say you write down 20 things you're just interested in, curious about. Okay, go explore. Go pick one project. Go public in that thing. Go hang out with a group online or in person that obsesses with that thing. You still excited? You know more about it now, right? Are, are you like, holy crap, this is the coolest thing ever? Great. Go further. Or if you're like, not as cool as I thought it was, great. Pull back. Go somewhere else. Eventually, you can start finding these interesting intersections. And then you're like, wait, that's my uniqueness, right? We always talk about this idea of like, Ikea guy, right? Um, it's like you're finding these specific things and the overlaps. And now you're like, wait, that's, that's a career path. Or I just realized that the thing that would make my life incredible to me is achieving this thing in neuroscience would be helping one person overcome this trauma. Now that you understand and you have clarity and enlightenment, so to speak, on these things, you're conscious of them. Now go and figure out how do you do that, right? So your MTP in these types of examples are you want to help a thousand people overcome sexual trauma. 
great. If that's the thing you're like, holy shit, that's my life's purpose now. Great. Go do that. Now we can set high heart goals. You're not, you don't have the training. Great. How to go get the training. Now we're getting into reverse engineering processes, right? Um, you know, if, if it's the neuroscience thing and you're like, cool, I'm in my forties and I don't even have a bachelor's. Great. Go get one, <laughs> right? Like, Maybe in downscope it. We've talked about downscoping so far in this conversation. Maybe the first step you can take is just go look at what it would truly take for you to get there. What colleges should you go to? What does that logistically look like? Could you afford to do that without working? Right? Maybe that's a, a conversation with your spouse. Um, maybe you realize you can live off your savings for the next four years and pull this off. Awesome. Um, now we're just going from problem solution. But here's the important part. It's not hard. It's, it's, it's difficult to do these things. However, because your motivation levels are so much higher because you're chasing that MTP now, because now you know it exists. You can't, you can't go on living and just be like, let's just not talk about it. No, it's there. It's always right here. So you're going to figure it out. It may take you 10, 20 years. Who cares? But you are constantly making now decisions that get you closer and closer and closer to that goal not further and further away. And now that thing, again, can change. You can have multiple MTPs. That's absolutely feasible. Um, but ideally, you have one that's just like, that's that's my life in a sentence. <laughs> if you can get there, I think you, you get that level of clarity. Everything else just becomes simpler, easier. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So many people can think how it's counterintuitive to use emotion and your gut to decide how you want to spend your life and what you want to do. We're so logical in society today, but people forget that logic is actually a tool that was developed over time. Logic is something we should be implementing to solve problems, not how we view every single thing in our lives. And listening to your emotions and gut is what's going to minimize regret in your life and what will make you the happiest. So by listening, by learning to listen to your emotion and gut, you can figure out what will make you the happiest and help you live a life without regret. And then you can use logic to solve those problems. If you just yeah. only use logic, you're not going to be very in tune with what feels right for you. And you may be chasing someone else's goal and you're going to do it well, but you're going to look back at the end of your life and realize, damn, there were so many other things I wish I had dedicated my precious time towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there. the you bring up some good, right? Which is like other people's goals. Um, highly recommend reading um, Wanting. I forget the author's name, but it's based on mimetic theory. So Rene Girard. Basically, the idea that you want what you want because your models in your world want those things. They assign value to those things. You want a Rolex because you saw somebody who you look up to have a Rolex. And inherently, if you didn't know, if you didn't have any models, you you may you may not care. So it's important to understand. What, what do you want? Not just what do you feel you should have? Those two things are different. And I lived a lot with the whole watch when I got into trading was purely mimetic. My model was James Bond. Funny enough, your models can be fictional, right? You can have positive models or negative models. Both give you data points to operate from. You have to, and I think this is where meditation comes in. You have to be able to sit down, get your, get your mind to a point where you can set that shit aside and, visualize i mean a lot of what i would do you know for the multiple years i was meditating i was i would get myself to a level of consciousness like really really deep then i would just let my mind roam i would actually just let it do its thing right like i would 
I would tame it and then be like, now go. <laughs> and what pictures, what pictures is he playing back to me? Right. Just my unconscious kind of ideals, right? Like what, what are the things that I think are important? And when they would come up, some, some of them I'm like, yeah, that doesn't serve me anymore. I'm good. Or other ones would. And I'm like, holy crap, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting, right? Maybe I do want to be that way. Um, so I've, I have no problem now being like, yeah, I geek out with James Bond and there's a, there's a handful of things in my life that are completely entirely influenced simply by him. And that's it, <laughs> you know, and it gets me excited because I'm intentionally choosing models. Um, and I think this is a good thing to do, right. Um, is like really lay out who, who do you hate the most and who do you look up to the most? These are your models. You can intentionally shift these around, right? So you know, this is kind of a good tactic to use once you have that MTP, that thing that lights you up, which is who are the models in that world that I could use? Who are the antithesis to that model? And then use those things, right? The whole This is that whole kind of fake it till you make it thing based on what though, right? Um, you might want to, let's say you're in your 40s and you want to go back to school full time to become a neuro neurosurgeon. Great. Who's done it before, right? Now you have this, this plot, so to speak, of somebody else's life who's doing the thing you're trying to do that you can lean on. When they're in a certain situation, what did they do? Maybe there's a book on that. Maybe there's an article on that. Hell, maybe you're just emailing back and forth, right? And they're just like, yeah, here's what I did or here's what I would do now. Um, you can kind of build up your own little internal team, but don't choose goals in, in a life just because somebody else has it and they look happy and just because it looks cool like choose something that makes you happy internally um it's not all just have more money right i mean for a lot of people it's being mother Teresa. <laughs> great just go do that <laughs> like don't look at the ferrari anymore you know change your, your wallpaper from a freaking ferrari <laughs> to like a monastery or something you know um you, you just really got to understand and get clarity again on what does it for you ultimately. I, I think that that couldn't have been said better. And that's one thing that we're going to highlight over and over on this show is that awareness is really the root of pretty much everything. And related to what's Dylan saying, I think that a couple of things you could do to help you know about what's important to you is one, learning to be okay with who you are, learning to embrace what makes you unique or funny or weird. Dylan loves James Bond and that's awesome. We all have something about us that makes us unique and we need to be able to learn to lean into that. We often think that, oh, this thing about me is weird. Spoiler alert, everyone's got weird things about them. We just don't always talk about it. Second is, and this will also help you with embracing your weirdness, becoming more aware. To do that, you need to be able to do some deep introspection like Dylan was saying, whether it be journaling or meditating like he was mentioning, basically getting away from this constant flow of stimuli that's in our modern world today and being able to let that ocean in your head settle so you can have a more clear look at what's inside you. If you're constantly bouncing from stimuli to stimuli, over-caffeinated, staying way too drunk, you're never going to be in your right state to be able to have a closer look at what's inside you. And I think being able to step away is one of the most useful things you will ever do with your time. So the couple examples Dylan gave, be it meditation and journaling or whatever works for you, start to take little actions each day 
to step away from the stimuli, have the quiet space and time to start to examine who you are, because that's what's going to help you make the biggest changes in your life. Yeah, Dylan, uh, I want to wrap up with a few closing questions. I think this has been awesome. And I, I think that we're also going to have to do a part two because I want sure. to dig into your relationship a bit more, uh, how you manage long distance and things like that. <laughs> um, I, I would say, and you know what, we might throw one of those in as like some closing questions. But first, I want to ask, what what is happiness to you and why? I'm wondering what makes you happy and also what your values are that drive your decisions. Cause everyone's is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, hmm. Funny enough, happiness for me is like solving problems and, and it's having a mountain to climb. Um, not just waking up doing whatever is on the plate, but, but understanding that like I am intentionally choosing what mountain I want to climb. Right. And Yeah. That I would say <laughs> that for me is like yeah. happiness for sure. Um, in terms of values. Yeah. I think regret minimization is probably a good thing. Um, I don't really view it that way, but I think it's a good like summation of it. It's really just what am I pulled towards? Um, that could be, you know, mainly emotionally, but uh, that and to a certain degree, karma. I mean, really right. Like when we're having, like we're in business, so, you know, there's a lot of negotiating and stuff like that just being like an awesome person <laughs> as much as I can. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, just like what the, what's the right thing to do? Not like what gives me the most money, but like what, what's the right thing to do here? Um, that gets me pretty far, I think. Yeah. I'd say those two. Yeah. I, that's awesome. And that reminds me of a quote that Naval Ravikant says, I may be paraphrasing, but play long-term games with long people or basically yep. just emphasizing the long-term approach. Exactly. The, uh, yeah. And the, the next questions I wanted to ask, since I mentioned it, I, I think we could just wrap up with relationship stuff. I, I think that sure. whenever friends ask me about successful relationships, you and Courtney are one of the couples that I, I reference. And I think you guys are doing something that a lot of people find very difficult, which is you're managing this long distance relationship also. I'm wondering any advice you might have for relationships, anything you think that might really help your relationship despite the distance. And then also if we, if we can get to it, how you knew that she was the one and you were ready to get married. I know that's kind of a big question. Yeah, yeah no, honestly, it's an easy one for me to answer, but <laughs> uh, yeah. So fun fact, my wife lives in Florida where I'm from and then I'm up here in Boston building the company. So she's actually flying up this Thursday. So I basically fly down once a month. She flies up once a month. Um, and we've been making it work for years at this point, you know, in terms of like before the whole like distance aspect of things, the biggest thing for us was just communication and always being on each other's team. So if either one of us did something that made the other uncomfortable, it was never you made me uncomfortable. It was, Hey, this thing you did, made me feel slightly uncomfortable and here's why we're just having a discussion right the moment you're not being attacked you don't get defensive you're just like oh i didn't think about it that way okay that's good to know it won't happen again right um and anytime there's any kind of potential argument and we actually don't fight you know we've, we've had you know disagreements but it's always been healthy and like 
I don't need you to view things the way that I do. You know, religion's a big thing. A lot of people, you know, at least back home are like, yeah, you can't, you can't be with somebody in a different religious view because you just have opposing worldviews. I'm like, I think that's kind of crap because I'm not religious and she is. We just respect each other, right? Like I'm going to support you as, as my spouse <laughs> to the degree that makes you happy, right? If it's going to church with you, I'll go to church with you, right? I'm not going to fake it, but like, you know, I will support you in any way, shape or form you need. Um, so it's always first and foremost, we're on the same side. We're on the same team. We're never adversarial towards each other ever. Um, so, and that just really comes with communicating, right? Like if, again, if you're like, Hey, you're kind of doing this thing, it's kind of making me uncomfortable. Great. Love you. We're on the same team. Don't want that to happen. What would happen if the roles were reversed? I wouldn't like that either. I'm going to stop. Right. I know there's no malintent. She knows there's no malintent. It was just kind of a weird situation. So we just stopped. Right. Um, like when I moved up here, you know, I would go out and, and hang out and drink. I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. Cause I was like, you know what? Actually, this would make me uncomfortable. And like, she didn't even bring it up, you know? So, and like, you know, you remember I would leave at like 10 when everybody's like, cool, now we're going to go to bars. I'm like, cool, I'm going to go home and call my wife, <laughs> you know? Um, but I just got to a point where I'm like, I get no value from it. And if the roles were reversed, I, I would be very uncomfortable. So I just stopped, you know? Um, pretty straightforward there. Um, in terms of like how I knew, or actually let, let's go with the, 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 the long distance stuff. Um, again, communication and finding something that's sustainable. I had a lot of people be like, it's not going to work. It's like, we'll find out, right? Again, problem solving. Um, I knew that I wanted us to be together and I knew that the company was growing and I needed to be in Boston to keep it growing. So what's reality here, right? We just had a discussion. Hey, here's what's happening. Um, do you want to make this work? Yes. I want to make this work great then we're gonna to have to operate differently right and so you just create the routines um you know when when do we facetime when do we not right um when do i give you some space when do i not give you some space um hey can you be down for this right like we're always together for like big events no matter what right like my stepson just turned six so obviously i'm down there when he's turning six for his birthday um holidays all those things and you just make it kind of like a fun challenge, right? It's like we get to, when she comes up here, we get to explore New England together. Cool. You know, um, so she gets exposure to really cool stuff. I think, yeah, if we were only seeing each other every three to six months, it would be much, much harder for sure, right? Because there's that level of intimacy that you're now missing. Um, but seeing each other every two to three weeks and the longest we've had to go was four weeks one time, it's sustainable. It's not ideal, obviously. You know, we always joke about like the random Tuesday. I just want to see you on a random Tuesday. Um, but now it's, you know, you, you tweak it, right? You, you find what works, what doesn't work um, when you need to spend a little bit more time when, when you can't. Um, it's just, it's been difficult in the sense of it's not ideal. And so you want to be together all the time, but it's sustainable in the sense of our relationship has not deteriorated. It's actually, I think, gotten better because the whole, like, you know, we miss each other, right? We, we can't take each other for granted. It's impossible to do that. <laughs> so when we see each other, like, I'm not going to see you for like two to three weeks. Like, I'm fully here and present with you, right? Um, so a lot of things that people would think would be negatives, um, again, 
limitations can be used as a positive thing if you have this level of abundance and not scarcity, right? I'm not worried about her leaving me and, and she's not worried about me leaving her because we over communicate these things, right? Um, and if either one of us feels like we didn't give our all that week or we're not present enough, we just bring it up. Like I did it. I was like, hey, I feel like I was not present enough for you or here for you enough this week. I'm sorry. And that's going to change, right? Like, so just being empathetic <laughs> turns out is a pretty good thing. And obviously like it's my wife. So like, love you, you know, <laughs> like I'm not going to do anything. I, it, it's crazy to me that I see so many people in relationships and I heard this today in the coffee shop, just like, you know, going getting drunk at like 3am and all these things. I'm like, dude, like, why are you even together? <laughs> you know, like, if you're unwilling to give up things for for your spouse, then why the heck are you even together? Right? Um, and it's not out of like, you giving up your life, quote unquote, it's like, no, it's a better use of your time. And you would rather do it than not do it. It's not obligation. It's not like, oh, if I date somebody, they're going to take up so much of my time. It's like, no, you're going to want to give them that time because you get more value in terms of pleasure spending it with them rather than not. That's just how that works. Um, in terms of like how I knew she was the one, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier in the conversation. It was I got to a point where I couldn't see my life without her. And for whatever reason, she was actually flying up the the upcoming week from that kind of realization i was like i already think she's my wife i already act that way like it's not me giving anything up it's me just now putting the label on it right so for me from a relationship perspective you should feel a certain type of way before you put the label on it you shouldn't get engaged and then figure out what that feels like no, you should feel like you are already engaged to that person and then be like, hey, can we now just make that official, <laughs> right? Um, like, it, it's not like when you're in, when you're a kid and you're, you just go up to a, you know, a, a person, you're just like, do you want to be boyfriend, girlfriend? And then you figure that out, right? <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> when you're dating it as an adult, you're like, I just assume we're exclusive now because, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, all, it's always post the feeling um, in the evolution, it's not pre, right? So for me, I was like, yeah, I already view you as that person. So I kind of feel, you know, like I should have done this earlier, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, it just, it just, it becomes simpler that way, right? You're not thinking about this timetable of like, oh, well, it's been four years, therefore now I need to. It's like, no, 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 it could take you 10 years to get to that point, right? You should get to that point before you throw things on it, right? I have, you know, this is very popular back home in, in, in the South, which is it's been a year. When are you going to get engaged and have kids? It's like, hold on, hold on. If the relationship's not there, if the individuals in that relationship, both are not there at that point, what are we doing here? That's how people end up married to the wrong person, married and unfulfilled and regretting a lot of things. Right. You know how you really reduce regret? Put yourself in a position that you feel worse not being married to that person, but being with that person. Right. <laughs> like that's a different perspective to take on it. Um, and again, it comes back to kind of how I make decisions. Right. Like, how does it make me feel? Am I chasing pain or pleasure? Am I you know, trying to get away from from pain? Right. There's different ways to view things. Um, 
but it gets to a point where what's the alternative is what we always say in our relationship, right? Like, like living up here is like, it's not ideal, but what's the alternative? The alternative is we're not together. Okay. Then this is what we got to do, right? You got to be willing to sacrifice a little bit. Um, so when you're, when you're with somebody, always ask what's the alternative. If the alternative is better than your current circumstances, then you need to change them. You're not with the right person. But if your circumstances now are dramatically better than the alternative, okay, that's a pretty good sign <laughs> that you've made the right decision. Um, and there's really no questions here, right? Because um, again, you can play that infinite optimization game, right? Um, I have no, and, and this was like a cool realization to get to is like, I can walk down the street, there could be a very attractive person and I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> like no question about it. Like no question about it. My wife is 10 times, a hundred times hotter than you are, supportive than you are, <laughs> like amazing. I would not give that up. When you get to that point, when you're like, damn, I'm basically not playing that optimization game anymore. Okay. That's a different, that's a different level of a relationship. Um, to me, that's where you get to that level of depth. Um, that gets really, really fulfilling. One thing I really want to highlight here is you mentioned thinking about how you feel. And a lot of us will be asking around, what do I do, whether it be in business relationship or things like that. But one thing you touched on is that the answer is going to be different for every one of us. Each one of ours, each one of our internal desires and drivers are different. Our scenarios are different. And you need to be able to hone in on what the right answer for you is. And you're someone who's very logical, I would say, myself too, and this can help drive success. But for the big decisions, one theme I've noticed is you've learned to lean into your gut and what feels right. And mm -hmm. these are the big decisions that's going to drive your life happiness. So again, don't be afraid to lean into your gut, lean into that awareness. I know it can feel like it's counterintuitive and against productivity and success, but if you want to learn what's right for you, be it in business or relationship or anything else, you need to learn to be more aware of what internally drives you as well as your motivators and your scenario. And that way you can know what feels right and also be able to more easily navigate the world around you. So I just wanted to highlight that out that Dylan, as well as a lot of others are able to both be logical when needed to automate productivity, increase their success, but also know how to manage and listen to their internal drivers, their gut and things like that. Dylan, I, I want to say thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I would like to wrap this up by asking one, any last minute parting advice for our listeners? And then two, any place where our listeners can find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah, sure. Um, final thing, read everything. <laughs> Just like literally have a spending problem with books. <laughs> like, that's probably the best thing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I used to have like a super built out blog and then it got, something happened with it on WordPress and it got deleted. So I, I you know, and I thoughtfully started over from scratch. So I'm getting back to writing a little bit. Um, nothing crazy, but just dillancarter.com, D-I-L-L-O-N carter.com. Um, I tend to write about minimalism, you know, futurism, um, productivity automation, <laughs> 
um, basically whatever I'm geeking out with is probably going to be there. Um, and sometimes I will publish like book summaries and stuff like that of stuff I'm reading. That's pretty much it. I'm not super social. I kind of just do my own thing, but that's, I would say that's probably the one place I could send you to. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to Dylan and want to hear more, please go check out his website and thank you everyone for joining us today. And especially thank you to Dylan. This was an awesome yeah. conversation and looking forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right. Bye, everyone. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode and got some value from it. If you want to hear more content on decision-making, thriving in uncertainty, eliminating ambiguity and regret minimization, as well as other similar topics, feel free to check out my YouTube channel and my website, letsgetreckless.com. And definitely reach out and let me know what you thought about this episode. Improving the show is a continuous process and your feedback helps me make this better over time and focus more on the content that's most helpful for you. Have a great day and I'll see you in the next episode.